Amanda, remember that time Lizzie Borden took an axe and gave her mother 40 wax, and when she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41? time and historical podcast i'm your host amanda webb and i'm your host anna webb and this is a podcast where two sisters totally geek out about their favorite moments in history and amanda it's our last spooky episode oh i'll miss the spooks (laughs) for now yes october is coming to a close and we're almost to halloween yeah so i thought i'd do a particularly spooky story well it's just kind of weird Uh Uh-huh. It's weird. Would you like a drink update first, though? Oh, yes. Today, Amanda, I am drinking water. (gasps) I know. What? What is happening? I know. Oh, my God. Well, you want to know what I'm drinking? Tell me. A pumpkin cider. (gasps) Who are we? (laughs) Oh, we've we've flipped. What's happening? (laughs) Who could have expected? this well i'll tell you what happened i don't have any alcohol in my house because on saturday i bought a bottle of wine and on sunday i drank the whole bottle of wine. <laughs> it's this winery in west virginia that the wine is like very it, it's it's very easy to drink <laughs> that's fair it doesn't feel like you're drinking an entire bottle of wine and also it was the whole day it, not the whole day but you know i started in the afternoon Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, well, I realized I still had these pumpkin ciders in my fridge, and it's almost the end of the spooky times, and I wanted to have one. It is almost the end of the spooky times. Man, I wish I had one, too. But I don't. I cannot believe that just happened. I also went and double-checked to make sure everything was still working, because last time I didn't drink water, or everything broke. <laughs> oh my god, that's right. <laughs> oh, we so had a terrible good. time. It was really bad. Let me check, because mine was the thing that wasn't working. Okay, we're good. We're good. Everything's fine. I think. Wild. We'll find out, I guess. What a wild way to start the episode. Maybe we're just being cursed by Lizzie Borden herself. Ooh. We're talking about Lizzie Borden today, in case you didn't yes. get that from the intro. Now, there might be a few slightly gruesome details, but I tried to tone down the gross, because the... It, it, it's gross, but I, I'm not going to talk about it too much. It's going to yeah. be very base level details. <laughs> so let's, are you ready to talk yes. about it? Okay, Absolutely. Great. So Lizzie Andrew Borden is born July 19th, 1860 in Fall River, Massachusetts. I love that thing. her middle name is Andrew. It's her father's name. I know that's fantastic. I think it was a common thing at the time. Right. Yeah. So her parents, okay, so here's an example of that. Her parents are Sarah Anthony, Uh probably her father. I don't know. I didn't check, but probably her Uh father's name. Probably. And and Andrew Jackson Borden. Ooh, that's rough. (laughs) Yeah, right? Like, ouch. I know for him it wasn't rough because people liked him then, but for (laughs) me that's rough. Yeah, it's it's, um, sort of maybe an omen. (laughs) It might be. It might just be. Andrew works in the manufacture and sale of furniture and caskets, also possibly an omen. Oh, wowzers. Hey, hey, Lizzie Borden. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, right. 
later, he becomes a property developer and directs several textile mills. He does, he does a bunch of stuff. So mm-hmm. he has a lot of money and he owns a lot of land. At the time of his death, his estate is valued at like $300,000, which now is like over $8 million. Oh, wow. So they were pretty rich. Gosh, our last our last couple have been um, some rich folks, some huh? Some bougie, bougie ladies. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Um, so despite the fact that the family is rich, Andrew is known for being very frugal. So he doesn't like to spend his money. Um, the Borden house has no indoor plumbing or electricity, which are both pretty common for people who have money at the time. I mean, not for everyone, but if you have money, you usually have those things. Um, so Lizzie and her sister, Emma, Emma's her older sister, if I remember correctly. Yes, she is. Mm-hmm. Um, have a pretty religious upbringing. Also Lizzie, a little foreboding. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Lizzie is a Sunday school teacher. Oh. Um, she teaches the children of recent immigrants to the u.s and that's very interesting yeah and very specific yeah it is specific you're right i I didn't think too much about it when i wrote it down but it's pretty (laughs) specific um she's very involved with their church which is central congregational church which is still in fall river i think Oh my gosh, imagine going to the church that Lizzie Borden went to. You could go to a lot of the places Lizzie Borden was. But I mean, like, to be a regular attending member of the church that Lizzie Borden went to and taught at is interesting. Yeah, it would be weird. It would be a strange experience. Mm -hmm. Um, And she's part of a lot of religious groups and a lot of, like, women's groups that are sort of connected to the church. Yeah. I mean, that's what a lot of women in that class did you know uh-huh. yeah it's how they how they were productive parts of their communities mm-hmm. so in 1863 sarah sarah lizzie's mother dies mm. she was sick but i can't remember with what oh i can't remember i did i didn't put it in my notes because i it's not the most important part of the story <laughs> <laughs> um so andrew then marries Abby Durfee Gray. So first of all, when we talk about the rhyme that I did at the beginning, which is a very famous rhyme about Lizzie Borden, she did not give her mother 40 wax. She gave her stepmother. (laughs) And she also didn't give her that many. So (laughs) we'll get back to that later. We'll we'll loop back around. Mm -hmm. Lizzie refers to her stepmother as Mrs. Borden. Oof, that's a rough start. She doesn't like her. She (laughs) thinks that Abby only married Andrew for his money, which is you know, possible and mm-hmm. honestly probable. And, and also, again, women in that time, can you blame them? They're just trying to find good prospects. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, a lot of people marry people for their money in that time. Yeah. It's kind of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. You start getting out of that trend towards the end of the 1800s, but there's still yeah. still in it at least a little bit at this point. Yeah, definitely. So there are some disputes between the parents and the children. They don't get along very well. Um, Bridget Sullivan, who 
is known as Maggie and who will be a very important part of the whole story. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's their live-in Irish maid. That and... is a very Irish name. I know. <laughs> Bridget Sullivan. And the fact that her nickname is also Maggie, Maggie. is like incredibly Irish. I know. It, it would only be more Irish if it were O'Sullivan. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? It might have been when she was in Ireland. It might have She might have dropped right. the O because a lot of right. folks did that. It might have been, yeah. Um, but anyway, Maggie says that Lizzie and Emma don't usually eat meals with their parents. Mm. Um, there was also this story, which you'll see if you watch, like, f- movies made about Lizzie Borden. Like, there's a made-for-TV movie. Was it a made-for-TV movie? I don't remember if it was made-for-TV, but it, it plays like a made-for-TV movie. <laughs> with um, Christina Ricci, I think, playing oh. Lizzie Borden. And actually, she is great in it. Um, but this story, I think, if I remember correctly, pops up in it. Because when I read it, I was like, oh, I think it was in that movie. Um, in May of 1892, there's this story that Andrew killed a bunch of the pigeons that were living in the barn with a hatchet. Thinking oh. that they were, like, attracting local children to, like, come to the house. to You know, like, they were causing a fuss. Mm-hmm. And Lizzie gets upset because she had recently built, like, a roost for them. Oh, and she had sad. been like ca- kind of caring for them. That's so um, sad. Yeah, but people use this as like see how much her dad sucked and how much she hated him. But yeah. there, there, there's no way to know if that really happened. Right. This is such if a, it like, did one-off. though, that's a really sad story. <laughs> that yeah. bummed me out. <laughs> yeah. Well, get ready, Amanda, because there's going to be a lot more bummers in this story. <laughs> In July of 1892, there's another another argument in the family. I don't know what it was about, but it basically prompts Lizzie and Emma to leave for a while. And they go on these, like, vacations, quote unquote. They just leave for a while. Mm -hmm. And they go to New Bedford. And they stay there for a while. And when they come back to Fall River, Lizzie chooses to stay in, like, a boarding house for about four days before she returns to the boarding house. And this is, like, a week before the murders take place oh, oh. drama yeah drama team. and in- intrigue if you I could say have... nothing else about this story drama and intrigue oh yeah it should have made tea for this episode oh yeah it would have been very good piping hot piping hot so in the months leading up to the murders andrew starts giving properties away to abby's family and this Causes more tension with Lizzie and Emma. They're not happy about it. Mm -hmm. Lizzie and Emma basically demand their own property, which they buy from their father for a (laughs) dollar. And it's the home they had lived in until their mother died. So they're living in a house that already belonged to them. Right. A few weeks before the murders... They sell the property back to their father for about $5,000, <laughs> which is now equivalent to $139,000. That's incredible. Which I just thought was a funny detail. They're like, on their grind. It's not really important, but I'm like, what is this man doing? Like, what is he doing? You know how much you sold it for. Why would you buy it back for that much? Yeah, Did they right? fix it up that much at that time? I guess they were just that... I My guess is that he was really trying to win back their affection. I would guess, yeah. Because why else would he do something like that? Mm-hmm. Especially somebody who's so stingy with his money. Yeah. You know? 
Um, leading up to the murders for several days, everybody in the household was really sick. They, th- I mean, most people thought it was like mutton that had been left on the stove that for like for too long that caused them all to get sick. But okay. Abby thought that it was a poisoning. Um, because Andrew was not a very popular oh, man. Oh, yeah, I remember this detail now that I hear that, yeah. Yeah, so it's just something to keep in mind as we move forward into but the But also, again, very foreboding. They're all very sick just, just a few days before. Mm. Yeah, like, basically leading up to it almost. Oh, the, oh the, this is like, if this wasn't a true story, you would think somebody made it up. I know. Because of how, oh. like, well-paced it is, you know what I mean? I have a I lot mean? of feelings about that. <laughs> so, let's talk about what happened. <laughs> yes, please. So, the day of the murders is August 4th, 1892. The previous night, John Morse comes to stay at the Borden house. John is Lizzie and Emma's maternal uncle. So he's their deceased mother's brother. Yeah. Their mom's brother. Uh-huh. Um, he's visiting to discuss some business things with Andrew. It's not really specific. So the next morning, so the morning of the 4th, Lizzie, Abby, John, Andrew, and Maggie are all at breakfast. John and Andrew go into the sitting room, and they talk there for about an hour. Okay. John leaves. This It's very specific, just FYI, the timeline. Like, very specific. <laughs> <laughs> so John leaves the house at 8.48 a.m. to buy a pair of oxen and visit a niece of his in Fall River. And then he planned to come back to the Borden home for lunch at noon. Okay. Andrew leaves for his morning walk sometime after nine in the morning. Okay. So, John had been staying in the guest bedroom in their house, and cleaning the best guest bedroom was usually a job that Lizzie and Emma would do. Okay. Around the house. But instead, that day, Abby goes to the guest room to make the bed sometime between nine and 10.30 a.m. And we know it's this time frame because 1030 is around when Andrew returns from his walk. Okay. Forensics show that, Ab- so Abby is killed in the guest bedroom. Mm-hmm. Sometime between 9 and 1030 a.m. And forensics show that she was facing her attacker when she was killed. Right. So she's struck on the side of the head with a hatchet, which ugh, gets gross, cut yeah. her just above the ear. Which caused her to turn and fall face down on the floor. Right. So from the angle of the the cut just above the ear, they can tell she was facing her attacker. Sure. Her killer then strikes her probably about 17 times, (sighs) making direct hits to the back of her head, which obviously kill her. Oh, gosh. So. That is, oh. (laughs) There's one of the two murders. Uh Uh-huh. Now. Andrew returns home around 1030 and his key won't work in the lock. So he knocks because he needs someone to let him in. Hmm. Interesting. Maggie goes to open the door, but it's jammed. And later she testifies that she 
utters, utters an expletive. And that after she says something, she hears Lizzie laughing from behind her up okay. at the top of the stairs. She doesn't okay. see her, but that's where she says the sound is coming from. Okay. Lizzie, of course, later denies being upstairs. She says that her father comes in and asked her where Abby was. And she said, oh, she got a note from a, a friend um, who was sick and she went to visit her. That's what that's what Lizzie says happened in the time between Andrew the first and Andrew coming home. Yeah, okay. So Lizzie also says that when Andrew comes home, she removes his boots and helps him into his slippers before he lays down on the sofa for a nap. Now, this is contradicted by the crime scene photos, which clearly show him still wearing his boots. Huh. Which you can see. I mean, I don't recommend looking up the photos from the Borden murders. Oh, no, they are disgusting. Disgusting. But you can you can if you want to. Mm -hmm. I don't recommend it. So Lizzie then tells Maggie, oh, there's a department store sale going on. You should you can go. I'll let you off for the day if you want to go, you know, have a day off. And but Maggie says, no, I'm not feeling very well. I'm going to go lie down, take a nap. Around 11.10 a.m., Maggie hears Lizzie calling. Maggie, come quick. Father's dead. Somebody came in and killed him. Which is a very specific thing to say. Yes, because if you had just found him dead, you would say, oh, no. What happened? He's dead. But why is my father bleeding? You wouldn't say somebody came in and killed him unless you saw it. Right. And you're like, hey, somebody's in my house. In which case, you probably wouldn't wait until he was dead. So Andrew had been struck 10 or 11 times with what appeared to be a hatchet-like weapon. Sure. This is gross. Oh, I just looked at the detail and it's gross. One of his eyeballs had been split clearly in two, suggesting that he had been asleep when he was attacked. Gross. Yeah. And his wounds were still bleeding, so... Detectives then determined that he was probably killed around 11 a.m. Because his wounds were still very fresh when they got there. So that's the play-by-play. Sort of. Sort of. As much as we know. Yeah. It's gross and sad, really. Yes, big time. So Lizzie is, of course, interviewed by police because she's the one who found, quote-unquote, her father. (laughs) And her answers are very weird and very inconsistent. So first she tells them that she heard some sort of groan or some sort of like cry for help before coming into the house, which because she had told them she was out like she was out in the garden or whatever. Yeah, she was in the backyard or the barn, I think, is where she was telling them she was. But then later she tells police that she didn't hear anything and she just came back into the house not knowing anything was wrong. And then she found it. So she contradicts herself there. Mm -hmm. So they're there investigating Andrew's death. They've come to the house because Lizzie has said, my father's dead. So the police are are there um, trying to figure out what happened to Andrew. And they ask Lizzie, where is your stepmother? And Lizzie says... Oh, she got a note to go and visit a sick friend. So she keeps 
that story straight. Uh huh. Um, but I think I heard her come back, you know, before all this. I think I heard her come back into the house. And then she says, can someone go upstairs and see if she's up there? And that is when Maggie and a neighbor who happens to be in the house find Abby's body in the guest bedroom. Wow. The drama. The drama. This is ridiculous. This whole story is so nuts. Ugh. Yeah. And police report that Lizzie is strangely calm while all this is happening. Sure, sure. I have some feelings about that because I don't like when people are like, their attitude was X, Y, Z. Because you don't know how a person is going to react to trauma. So the way someone reacts doesn't say a ton unless it is just like vast, like wildly odd. Yeah, you know, and there there like are some extreme. very specific indicators, but that's not one of them because some people do just get very calm. When they go into trauma. shock. That yeah, happens. Yeah. yeah. So I don't think. I mean, I I put it in my notes because police reported it, but I don't think that that is necessarily an indicator one way or the other. Right. That's just my me mm-hmm. passing judgment on it. So while they're there, though, investigating at the house, right after it happens, no one checks Lizzie for bloodstains. They search her room, but they later say that it was really just like a preliminary search and wasn't very thorough because Lizzie said she wasn't feeling well and wanted to lie down. Sure. In the basement of the house, they find two hatchets, two axes, and a hatchet head with a broken handle. They suspect that that hatchet head was the murder weapon because the break in the handle looks like it's new. Huh. And then they note that the ash and dust on the head, unlike that on the other bladed tools, appeared to have been deliberately applied to make it look as if it had been in the basement for some time. Huh. So they think it looks like somebody, you know, coated it in dust or something to make it look like like it had had settled on it. Yeah. Right. But none of the weapons are removed from the house at this point. Hey, that's some bad police work that you're doing. Yeah. But what they do accomplish is that they perform basically an autopsy. I I think I read that it was like in their kitchen. Gross. They did it at the house. Um, but they they test Abby and Andrew's stomachs for poison because, you know, the family tells them, oh, everybody was sick. Was just sick, right. But also everybody was sick. So I don't understand that. And also... <laughs> They were stabbed to death. So what does it matter? <laughs> yeah, they were. If they, they were. were yeah, <laughs> they did not die of that sickness. They clearly right. died of the many, many wounds on their bodies. Right. I don't get it. But they at least did that. I guess. I guess. So, a friend of Lizzie and Emma, her name is Alice Russell. She stays at the house the night after the murders. She stays with her friends. And John Morris also stays, um, and he stays in the attic guest room. There were some reports that he stayed in the same guest bedroom, like where Abby was murdered, but that doesn't I highly doubt that. Yeah, that would be absurd. Um, So, but they keep police stationed around the house to, like, keep an eye on things Uh on the night of August 4th. And while they're stationed there, an officer claims that he sees Lizzie enter the cellar with um with alice russell carrying a kerosene lamp 
and a slot pail. And then he states that he sees both of them exit the cellar. And then Lizzie goes back alone. He couldn't see what she was doing, but he says that it appeared that she was bent over the sink. So I'm curious as to if some of these reports were made like directly after the fact or were only made after Lizzie was accused. This one was before she was accused. Okay. Because Because she's not informed that she's a suspect until a couple days later. Right. Because some of these sound like people very deliberately like adding details to the story and some of them don't. You know what I mean? It's like... It's hard to tell with the nature of the whole thing, you know? Yes. And human memory is very flawed. Uh Uh-huh. So, yeah, but this, this event was said to have happened before, before she was made the official suspect. Okay. So on August 6th, police come back to the house and they do a more thorough search. And this is when they remove the hatchet head. And they inspect both Lizzie's and Emma's clothing at this time. But it's two all, days later. Yeah. So. They don't find anything on the clothing. But yeah. they take the, the what they believe to be the murder weapon. Mm-hmm. And then that evening, a police officer and the mayor both visit the house and tell Lizzie that she's a suspect. Okay. And then on August 7th, Alice Russell says that she enters the kitchen and finds Lizzie in there tearing up a dress. Okay, good. And Lizzie tells her that she was going to put it on the fire because it was covered in paint. Sure. She had brushed up against something and gotten paint on it and ruined it. It was nobody ever determined if that was the dress that she was wearing when the murders occurred because nobody nobody knows and the dress is gone. So yes, what are you gonna do? But like, come on, <laughs> I like that's a bit uh huh uh huh. I mean, if it did happen again. That's what Alice says happened, but who knows? Yeah. I believe that it happened. Same, same. (laughs) So on August 8th, Lizzie attends an inquest hearing. Um, She requests to have the family attorney there, but she's refused that request under a state statute that says an inquest can be held in private. They don't have to let you have your lawyer there. Okay. Basically, which is weird. Yes, it is very weird. During the inquest, her behavior is seen as very erratic, and she often refuses to answer questions, like, even when they'll be, when they'll be helpful to her. She won't answer questions. Huh. She She's, like, very, like, weirdly stubborn about it. Um, Lizzie had been prescribed morphine to calm her nerves for, like, a couple days before the inquest. She had been taking it. So that definitely could have affected her testimony and well, yeah. definitely affected her mood and behavior. Well, yeah. <laughs> Let's be honest. But either way, she gives a lot of conflicting reports on her behavior on the day of the murders. Sure. So, oh, and the, like, prosecutor who's doing the questioning at the inquest is particularly, like, he goes in. He's, like, uh-huh. hard on her. So on August 11th, Lizzie is served with an arrest warrant and she's jailed. Right. Um, later, they do rule the inquest as inadmissible at her trial. Yeah, I would say so. <laughs> yeah, I, I think just because it was like, it, it was so inconsistent. You because of the everything of it. about it. <laughs> yeah. The inquest did get a lot of press attention, mm-hmm. including a 
a three-page write-up in the Boston Globe. Good Lord. Yeah, this was one of those trials that, like, national attention was all over it, which is weird to think about in the 1800s because news traveled so slowly still. Well, the same is true for Jack the Ripper. It was known all over. But it was the here, it was the birth of that type of media, so like Yeah, but this was like an actual trial was happening. Yeah, yeah. So that's what got the attention more than mm-hmm. the, the murders, because you know, people get murdered all the time. But yeah. People were very interested in this trial. Yeah. So on November seventh, a grand jury starts hearing evidence, and then on December second, they decide to indict her. So Lizzie's trial officially begins on June 5th, 1893 in New Bedford. So five days before the trial starts on June 1st, there's actually, I didn't, and I didn't know this till I was reading about it, but there was actually another axe murder <gasps> in Fall River. What? Yeah. The victim was Bertha Manchester. She was found hacked to death in her kitchen. <sighs> and there were definitely similarities but someone else was convicted of it. Okay. Um, so they determined they weren't related because the person who was convicted of this was not in the vicinity at the time of the Borden murders. Sure. So, but I just never knew that. Me either. That's really interesting. Yeah. So let, I just want to talk about the main arguments that happened at Lizzie's trial and the main okay. things that were focused on. Okay. So the hatchet head. The defense argues that it is not sufficiently proven to be the murder weapon. Um, the prosecution argues that the handle was removed because they it had blood on it, but they they never testify. They never test that. Yeah. Um, and one officer testifies that the handle was found near the head, but another officer contradicts it. So the defense argues they they don't sufficiently prove that that's the murder weapon, which they right. don't. Right. Let's be honest. Bloody clothing, or or lack thereof, really. Right. Um, Alice Russell does testify to seeing Lizzie burning the dress on August 8th. Um, but And the defense doesn't challenge it. But they don't have the clothes, so... So they can't prove that that was it. They can only speculate about it. And prosecution has the burden of proof, so yeah. the defense doesn't challenge it because they don't have to prove anything. Yeah. So another thing is where Lizzie was in and around the home... On the day of the murders. Maggie claims she went upstairs at 8.50 or 10.58 a.m. Leaving Lizzie downstairs with her father. Whereas Lizzie claims she went out to the barn. And two people, I don't know who, testified that they see Lizzie leaving the barn at 11.03. And then Lizzie doesn't call for Maggie until 11.10 to tell her that Andrew has been murdered. And when she calls for Maggie, she tells her not to enter the room. And sends her to get a doctor. Right. Instead. So it's all very, he said, she said, very complicated. Yeah. Well, and even in those claims about, like, if Lizzie was at the barn or not, there are still gaps of time in that where she still could have Uh committed the murder. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't take, I mean, what's the 1103 people say they saw her leaving and then she calls for Maggie at 1110. And his time of death is estimated to be about 11 o'clock. Like, but could be after. Yeah. You don't, I mean, could have been after. Yeah. So that's seven minutes. Yeah. She could have gone out to the barn to get the hatchet. Like, it's not yeah. that 
Yeah. And it doesn't take that long to kill a sleeping person. No. Because he was asleep, probably. Yeah. So, you know. Another thing that happens at trial is both of the victim's heads had been removed during an autopsy, and they bring the skulls in to the courtroom. Oh, that's right. I forgot about this. (laughs) Yeah, this is, like, well known. And they present it on June 5th. Um, 1893 and when Lizzie sees them she faints well and so there's a lot of like well was she really disturbed or was she doing it for show because that's going to get a jury kind of on your side a little bit so mm-hmm. I think that's what most people talk about when they talk about that happening yeah it's not wild to think about them just like walking into a courtroom holding two skulls like yeah, <laughs> like they're about to start weird. reciting Shakespeare like what's happening it's very weird it's, it's like very weird that to me is the move that is so similar to um them bringing out the glove in the OJ trial yes like, that's exactly the like image the wrong, I had in my head yeah you made the wrong move <laughs> because now you've gotten the jury on the side of the defense because of yeah. something you did yeah screwed it up there was also evidence that got excluded at trial but there was evidence that lizzie had looked into purchasing prussic acid which is just poison basically Uh uh-huh um supposedly for cleaning a sealskin cloak on the day before the murders but the the judge ruled that that it was the incident was too remote to have any connection Right, but, like, like, it wasn't, though, because it was the day before the murder, so I don't understand. No, and, like, she could have used that to clean stuff, you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. interesting. Like, her clothes, yeah. Yeah, or the hatchet, (laughs) like. Yeah, but, and it also shows that she might have been planning planning to to kill them another way. Yep. But wasn't successful. Yeah. So, that's weird that it didn't get included, but, yeah, whatever. So on June 20th, 1893, the jury is sent to deliberate. Trial concludes, time for the jury to deliberate. They come back after 90 minutes, which is a surprisingly short amount of time in a murder trial. With the nature of the murder and the amount of evidence that that was given, like, mm, mm -mm. mm-mm. Lizzie is acquitted of both murders. Wow. So, in a court of law, she did not do it. And the law in this country, my friends, if you don't already know, is that you're if you're acquitted of a crime, you can't be tried for it again. So, Lizzie has been acquitted. She can never be tried for these murders again. Wow. In the eyes of the state, she's innocent. Wow. But she still remains the prime suspect in both murders. Like, to this day, they've never found another prime suspect. Yeah, because she, like, definitely did it. (laughs) I'm pretty sure she did it. Yeah, like, a lot of times with these, it's like, oh, you know, there's, like, at least a little shadow of doubt. But for me, it's like, she, I, she did it. Like, I can't. I don't know who else would have done it. No. And I know there are theories. I know there are theories about other people who could have done it, but none of them make any sense to me. Like They don't hold up to me. No, 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 no. I, like, she definitely did it. (laughs) Yeah. They don't hold up to me. Um, so here are some theories about the murder and possible other, the murders and possible other suspects and right. so on and so forth. So one theory posed by Victoria Lincoln in her book, A Private Disgrace, Lizzie Borden by Daylight, <laughs> um, which is a great title, um, it is. thinks that Lizzie may have entered a fugue state and murdered her parents, which is 
you know, possible. I mean, that happens to people sometimes. Yeah, it's just that something has to bring the fugue state on. On. I don't know what that And there still had to have been some kind of intent, you know, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I don't know. That seems odd to me. I mean, it's possible. It's certainly possible. Um, Some think that Lizzie may have been physically or sexually abused by her father, which, of course, would give her motive to murder him. Sure. But there's not really any evidence of that, though that kind of thing wouldn't have really been heavily investigated or talked about in the 1800s. So the fact that there's no evidence... mm. I I think even without that evidence, she still had plenty of motive. Sure. You know, she she didn't like her parents. Like... She didn't... Right. Either way, she was upset with them about something. Yeah, there was there Which was motive without that. Not that that couldn't yeah. have also been motive, but it existed without that. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm with you. In 1984, mystery author Ed McBain wrote a novel called Lizzie, in which he suggests that Lizzie commit committed the murders um, after she was caught in a lesbian tryst with Maggie. This is a favorite of mine. Yeah. <laughs> So it's a this is a classic. He elaborates on this in an interview, um, and he speculates that Abby caught them, sure, and then reacted badly, and then Lizzie actually killed Abby with a candlestick that was in the room, and then when um, Andrew comes back, Lizzie confesses to him, but then he also reacts badly, and that's when she murders him. Which just seems like a story you've just concocted for absolutely, like <laughs> oh, absolutely, and but like that... I've heard theories outside of the whole like relationship. I've heard other theories that Lizzie and Maggie did it together, but yeah, there are definitely theories. Yeah, that there's I I don't there's not a lot of meat uh, on that yeah. bone there. <laughs> there's not, and there was there's speculation about Lizzie like throughout the rest of her life that she she may be a lesbian which is entirely possible and uh-huh. we'll touch on it a bit in a minute um but there's nothing to suggest that maggie may have been and she, i mean in fact she gets she moves away and she gets married allegedly when she died in 1948 she gave a, a deathbed confession to her sister that she had changed her testimony on the stand to protect lizzie but again, there's no like hard evidence that that happened. Um, John Morse was also briefly considered a suspect, but ultimately he had an alibi. He was out of the house. Yeah, that's the one that I hear most about when people talk about alternate theories. They usually hone in on him. But really, yeah, I haven't heard that as much. Really? Yeah, no, I usually yeah. hear people try and put it on him or on uh, Maggie. That's what I hear the most. Interesting. Now I could. I can understand why people might think that he's a suspect, but to me, the manner of death and the way the murders happened suggest very personal. And he didn't seem emotionally invested as far as I know. Yeah, I mean, but he was related to them. And so it's like when you're already in that whole mindset of the family issues, I think it just sort of carries over. I guess, but it's not like he lived there and he wasn't like close with them really i mean he's the dead mom's brother yeah. he's not really 
around much. Yeah. So. I can't I can't think of them off the top of my head, but I know I've heard theories that like back him up a little more. But again, none of them are as convincing as Lizzie, but I have heard some stuff about John. Yeah, before. I didn't I didn't read too much about it. Yeah. Um, Maggie, of course, is considered a suspect because she's in the house and there's this story that she was upset about being asked to clean the windows on an extremely hot day and that's why she was angry and she killed them. I don't know. I, I don't, she, it was hot and she was still recovering from being sick and so she was mad enough to brutally murder them. I don't know. No, that's, that. yeah, no. <laughs> If she was connected at all, it was in some way, shape, or form with Lizzie. You know what I mean? Like, she, there's no way in my mind she did that on her own. I would, I wouldn't be, it's not totally out of the question that she was involved with Lizzie somehow, like, helping her in some way. But again, that doesn't even seem that plausible to me either, so. Um, there was a William Borden who was suspected to be an illegitimate son of andrew okay this was brought up by the writer arnold brown and he stated that william had tried to extort money from andrew but ultimately he failed but then another author leonard Rabello, did extensive research on this um and he found out that william borden was not in fact andrew's son so that was like a that was a busted theory yeah i was gonna say i have never heard that before that's wild yeah yeah because it's not a good theory no but it was on the list so i put it on my emma the other sister did have an alibi because she was away at the times of the murder right she was visiting somewhere else i can't remember um but some people suggest that she may have had time to sneak back into the house kill him and then return to oh Fairhaven is where she was and then return to Fairhaven before the telegram came through informing her that her parents had been killed okay again not that that likely to me so yeah seems like a stretch I mean possible to me it's not out of the question that maybe her and Lizzie had talked about it and maybe talked about killing them because they both had issues with them but I don't. I don't think Emma would have been present. I, I think it's out of the question. Yeah, because well, we'll talk a little bit more about it okay. in a second. But okay, so Lizzie has been acquitted. Now what? Yeah. Well, now what is the question? Lizzie and Emma both decide to remain in Fall River. This is maybe the wildest part of this to me. I know. I cannot fathom that because this is not that big of a town. I cannot fathom that. Um, so most of the information I got about the life after the trial, just if you're wanting to look into it, was from Mental Floss, mm-hmm. the best website, and also the Providence Journal. So if you want to look into this more, you can find more details. But I'm just going to go through some deets okay. about what happened. What had happened. <laughs> so what had happened was they <laughs> they buy a house together, which Lizzie starts calling Maplecroft. In a nice neighborhood in town known as the Hill, which is where most of the rich families actually lived. The Bordens, when Andrew started coming into all of his money, lived in a different neighborhood than this. Probably because Andrew didn't want to spend all that money. Right. Um, but they, but Lizzie and Emma moved to this neighborhood after the trial. They have a full staff in their household. Live-in maids, housekeeper, coachman, coachman. Coachman, man. <laughs> Coachman. Oh, Coachman. 
I'm losing the ability to talk. <laughs> um, Lizzie starts going by the name Lisbeth A. Borden. As if that's going to change anything. <laughs> yeah, so different. Yeah, I don't know why she did that, but you could have you could have like pulled an Anne off of Andrew or something. Like <laughs> you could have picked any name. You could have just picked a new name, yeah. And you could have dropped the one name everybody knew best, which was your last name. Yeah, but she didn't. Oh, I found this interesting. In nights in eighteen ninety four, almost two years after the parents were murdered, Lizzie and Emma order a ten foot tall blue granite monument on which they spend two thousand dollars oh my gosh um and four grave markers for the family plot in fall rivers oak grove cemetery wow i don't i think it's still there yeah I would but bet. i'm not positive huh. I think it is. people refuse to sit near lizzie at church obviously obviously uh, children would ring her doorbell in the middle of the night, throw gravel and eggs at her house. Uh, you know, the usual kid stuff when they right. know they've got a creepy person in the neighborhood. It does appear to still be there. I looked it up. Oh, okay. Oh, it, it has apparently been vandalized, which is unsurprising to me. Well, I'll see. Yeah, that's okay. Right. Anyway, I, I was curious. Speaking, yes, continue. speaking of the vandaling youth. <laughs> So Lizzie then begins a friendship with actress Nance O'Neill. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so this is a big part of where all those rumors about her sexuality come sure. from. Because she travels with Nance a lot. Understandable. And in 1905, she throws a party for Nance at Maplecroft. Emma doesn't approve of the friendship. I think Emma's also pretty fed up with Lizzie just in general. Sure. <laughs> And this is when she moves out. She basically says, like, this is the last straw. I I can't live there anymore. And they never see each other again. Wow. Yeah. That's wild. To stick with her for so long after it was pretty clear that she killed them. You know what I mean? My thought is that Emma had her suspicions. Yeah. And was trying to deny them because you don't want to believe that basically your best friend did something so terrible to your parents and yeah. their own yeah so but i think she just couldn't take it anymore and when lizzie starts like spending all of her money on someone else that emma doesn't really approve of she was like all right i'm out yeah that's understandable uh lizzie continues to travel she visits washington dc she stays in first class hotels she sends birthday cards to the children of close friends and signs them Auntie Borden. Wow. Cute. So on June 1st, 1927, after being ill for some time and having her gallbladder removed about a year prior, Lizzie dies a month before her 67th birthday. And on your birthday. And on my birthday. Wow. Wild. <laughs> yeah. Um, I saw one source said that she had pneumonia. Another said heart disease. So I don't really know. Yeah, I mean, we didn't really keep records that well. So, like. Apparently. Now, nine days after Lizzie dies, Emma, who is living in, like, a nursing home, dies of kidney disease at age 76. Huh. And the sisters are buried next to each other at Oak Grove Cemetery in Fall River. Here, Here again is a moment where you think, 
certainly this isn't real. Certainly this is like from a novel yeah. or something. Because yeah. she, Lizzie died at 67 and Emma died at 76. And they died. Well, almost 67. She wasn't quite. Okay. But they died close. like days away from each other. That's like some poetic nonsense. You know what it I mean? sure is. Wow. So Lizzie got basically amassed a fortune during her life. At her death, her book collection was valued at $1,134.75. Wow. Very specific. She had two cars, a 1923 Lincoln and a 1924 Buick, and those were assessed at $1,425. And so her estate was worth a little more than $310,000, um, and that's equivalent to about $4 million today. Wowzers. And her sister's estate was worth a little bit more. Wow. I mean, they were, like, very rich. (laughs) Yeah, very rich. Uh, In her will, Lizzie leaves more than $50,000 to the Animal Rescue League of Fall River. Loves animals, but will murder her family. (laughs) (laughs) Um, If you're interested in seeing the Borden House, you can, because it is a museum and also operates as a bed and breakfast. Oh, God. (laughs) With 1890s styling, baby. Pieces of evidence from the trial, um, including the accent, are at the Fall River Historical Society, so you can see those in Fall River. Wow. It's like... Yeah, of course it's a museum. I'm into that. I would go there. I would not like to stay the night there. Thank you very much. Oh, no. No. Gross. Big no. No, thank you. Huge no. Also, this is another little aside. Isn't it interesting that, like, you know, during her life, she was such a hated figure in that town. Like, people didn't like her anymore after all of that because people were pretty sure she did it. Um, And now it's like... Their pride and joy. Isn't it weird how that happens? People go to that town to learn about her. Yeah. Yeah. Like, there are probably still people who in that town whose families have been there for years and years and who knew mm-hmm. the Bordens and who were pretty sure that Lizzie had killed that their, those mm-hmm. people. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and that, I just right. think that the, the hands of time, I just think that's very interesting. <laughs> and you know that famous rhyme that we did at the beginning? Yes. It's been attributed to both an anonymous writer as a way to sell newspapers, like they would sing it to sell the newspapers, mm-hmm. um, as well as to Mother Goose. Which, which is, is like, a little morbid for her. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's also been said that it might have just been like a group of children in Lizzie's neighborhood who would sing it. That tracks to me. Um, and there's a second verse. Ooh. That goes like this. <clears throat> Andrew Borden now is dead. Lizzie hit him on the head. Up in heaven, he will sing. On the gallows, she will swing. Whoa. Though apparently not, because she didn't. <laughs> she got acquitted. Oh. And people will go to that house and investigate it to see if if the parents are still there. Right. I think if anyone was going to haunt that house, though, it would be Lizzie oh. after she was gone. Big time. So that's Lizzie Borden. That's very interesting. Oh, she's... Oh, man, interesting. She's an interesting person. The murder is very interesting. The trial is like... Wow. (laughs) Like, all every piece of it. It is... Her story is so interesting to me because, like I was saying earlier, it's like, if that did not really happen, if we did not have records that all of that happened, that all of that stuff was said at the trial, like, you would think that this was a fictional story. Yeah. Because it's so, like... 
Oh, it's it's full of twists and turns. It is. I do recommend that movie with Christina Ricci, which I have just looked up to double check, was a TV movie. It was on Lifetime, of course. Uh-huh. And it was titled Lizzie Borden Took an Axe. <laughs> and I think I watched it on Netflix. So I think it's maybe still on I'm pretty Netflix. sure I watched a little documentary about Lizzie Borden in my U.S. women's history class. So, mm, yes. Living my best life. She's fascinating. And that movie actually includes a lot of the little sort of one-off stories we talked about. Like it, the dress being ripped up and like right. her washing her hands at the sink. I remember that. And then Maggie being upset about having to clean the windows on a hot day. Like it includes all those details. So sure. it's, you know, it's not the worst Lifetime movie I've <laughs> seen. That's for, that's for sure. <laughs> well, that's the end of our spooky season. Oh, I'm going to miss it. It was good. I, I enjoyed it so much. And soon we shall enter the holiday season, which is my favorite time of year. Yes. And which for me starts immediately after Halloween. Is Same. Don't come for me. Same. Don't come for me. It's all one season in my mind. I agree. So um, I don't know what we'll be doing next time. Nope. But um, it won't be spooky. Unfortunately. Probably. Probably. I mean, aren't they all a little spooky? Just yeah, I mean, sort no of promises. <laughs> in general. That's how history goes. Uh, but listeners, I hope you've enjoyed our, our spooky time. Um, if you have suggestions for future episodes, please let us know. You can email us at rememberthatpod at gmail.com. Or you can get at us at, on Twitter at rttpod. Um, and you can follow me on the internet at the real Anna Webb. And I'm at ACW Nerdfighter. Nailed it. We got that outro real quick. This I'm time. really proud of us. <laughs> minus so, minus the knowing what's coming next. But well, <laughs> hey, we've had a pretty good track record this month. Yes. So. <laughs> we've been very consistent this month and this month alone. It's really fine. So therefore, <laughs> until next time. Remember that time. Mm-hmm.